Zach Ketterson is a professional cross-country skier representing the U.S. Ski Team internationally in Team Berkey domestically here in the States. In this episode, we talk about Zach's career as a professional athlete. Recently, he's recorded several top 30 World Cup finishes, which, if you don't know the skiing world very well, is a really big deal. And we talk a lot about his pursuit of success. We talk about defining goals, achieving them, and then resetting the standard. He talks about maintaining resilience and perspective throughout a long season. And I also learned a lot about what it's like to compete throughout Europe in the winter, how different countries kind of prioritize and value different sports, and how he just continues to proceed in a sport where many people reach their peak in their 30s. He's currently 25. He's coming off of a very successful NCAA Division I season. And as a fellow Minnesotan, he was a Minnesota State champion, which we love to hear. Zach and I met as teammates. I think we were in elementary school or middle school at the Southdale YMCA swim team. And since then, he's built a really impressive career in sport. Here's Zach. All right, Zach, thank you so much for being here. I'd love to just start with your story as a professional athlete. Where are you now and how did you get there? I am in Seefeld, Austria right now. I'm here on a little post-World Cup series recovery camp with the uh, U.S. ski team. We just finished what's called the Tour de Ski, Mm -hmm. which is, if you know, like the Tour de France, that's sort of like uh, a bike series where there's a bunch of races in a short amount of time. And Mm -hmm. the Tour de Ski is basically that for skiing. We did like seven races in nine days, which is pretty atypical. We usually just have a couple races every weekend or so. Definitely like a pretty condensed, tough schedule. And Mm -hmm. so now we're just hanging out in Austria doing like a little recovery camp. So not a ton of training and just trying to come back from a pretty tough, tough week or so. Yeah, I'm here with the U.S. ski team, which it's my second year on the team. And the U.S. ski team is sort of the highest level of cross-country skiing in the U.S. It's my it's my second year here, so I'm still a little bit new to this to the scene. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of people on the team who have been here, you know, doing this, living in Europe for 10 or more years, so mm-hmm. definitely still like a little new to it, but yeah, just trying to learn all I can, and definitely a really big goal of mine to be to be able to be here for many years, and it's a sport where it takes a lot of years. Like, a yeah. lot of the best people in the sport are 30 or older, which is, right. you don't see that as much in maybe basketball or some other sports, but for sure. being, like, a, a more endurance sport, a lot of the best guys have been doing it for a really long time. So, um, I'm only 25, which, again, like, only 25 would sound yeah. a little weird in other sports. Sort of just trying to put myself on a path that'll get me to where I want to be mm-hmm. when I reach those, like, kind of critical years, I guess. Yeah, that makes total sense. And the sport I come from was actually very similar. Like you get the technical reps and you get experience and that idea of being only 25 total sense. So very okay. cool. Um, I know you talked about the season being primarily in Europe. And another reason why I'm really excited to tell your story is I think your sport is kind of underappreciated in the U.S. by the general population. Like I know the skiers out there are probably like, no, this is the greatest thing. And I agree. It's a really cool sport. Um, but what does the season look like? You're in Europe for a lot of the time. And then I know you said you come back to the U.S. as well. What does a calendar year look like for you? So it's kind of funny, obviously, with it being a snow sport and Mm -hmm. me being from Minneapolis, we Mm -hmm. don't really have access to snow from, you know, basically April until November. Right. So a lot of our dry land training is actually what's called roller skiing. Mm -hmm. And maybe maybe you've seen it. I know some people maybe have an idea of what it is, but we basically just use these like elongated roller blade things that we attached to our ski boots and we go on roads and bike paths and use you know poles that have special tips that are designed to go into the pavement and 
you know, it's not nearly as fun as the thing on snow. Like, I yeah. don't think a lot of recreational people are going to be caught doing that, but um, sort of a bit of a necessary evil. We do a lot of our hours in the summer and fall on roller skis and then mm-hmm. a lot of running and biking. And, you know, just since it's a endurance sport, a lot of it is just about sort of building that base fitness. Right. Um, so that's, that, that is a fun thing about it too. I, I'm not kind of, you know, a lot of runners or maybe other sports, you have to just do so much of only the, the discipline that you compete in. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's a fun part in the off season. We get to do a lot of, you know, biking and other fun stuff. But yeah, then basically you get to uh, middle of November and we fly over to Europe, like pack a bag, um, kind of knowing this is going to be my stuff for the uh, entire winter. And hopefully wow. I don't leave anything really important because, <laughs> uh, you know, some things can be really hard to find in Europe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, fly over to this year, it was Finland. Mm-hmm. And then you're just living out of a bag basically until, you know, th- through the whole season, which is basically until March or so. So wow. um for me, it's like a, it's a challenge for sure, but my uh, fiance is from Norway. So I think mm-hmm. that's something that's made it a lot easier is during breaks, I can go to Norway where mm-hmm. she's from mm-hmm. and uh, hang out with her and her family and get a little mm-hmm. bit of a break. But for sure, it's something that a lot of the uh, American skiers on the US ski team will probably talk about is that, you know, it's, it's a bit of an inherent disadvantage, if you will, that it's such a European sport and right. we sort of just have to live out of a bag so many months of the year but I think it's something that really serves our team culture well too because it's something that we all really have in common that Mm -hmm. we're just sort of this family on the road and we kind of yeah we tackle it together in a way and I think it it really brings us closer together but it's it's for sure challenging at times I bet that's a long time to to be across the ocean where have you raced this year and where will the season go from here um it's been a lot in Scandinavia at the start of the year like Norway Sweden, Finland. Um, and now we just did a little bit more of a central European tour, uh, mm-hmm. the tour to ski. It was in France, Germany, and Italy, um, which unfortunately central Europe this year has just had such bad snow. Really? Um, so a lot of those races, it's been like, you know, 50, 60 degrees, oh my gosh. which of course is, is not great for snow. So yeah. like in Germany, they had only like a one or two kilometer loop that was just basically laid out on like green grass. No and way. They had a ton of just hundreds of hours of volunteer work to just make this this race happen, basically. And so it's a bit of a bummer. Like a lot of these venues that have been historically so just like mainstays of the schedule mm-hmm. are probably not going to be selected in the future because they've had so many years in a row with bad snow. So right. that's that's a whole nother rabbit hole, I guess, like climate change and skiing. But yeah, um, a lot, it's a lot in a lot in Scandinavia and Central Europe, not mm-hmm. so much in Eastern Europe and stuff. What are the fans like in Europe? Do people appreciate it, the sport a lot in there? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, especially in like Scandinavia, I, I would say Norway is sort of like the home of cross-country skiing. It's mm-hmm. it's like where it started and it's kind of there. Maybe one of the only countries where that's their like national sport. That's so cool. Um, so yeah, it's really cool. We do some races in Norway that have a lot of history. Like they've been on the same day in the same place for for over 100 years wow and uh yeah some of those you'll be skiing up a hill and there'll just be like a noise tunnel of fans on either side and I feel like uh they all really want to see the U.S. do well and there's just a bit of this like European fascination with American culture as well so you get a lot of the like USA chance when when you go by so it's (laughs) it's fun yeah (laughs) that's so cool so would you say that cross-country skiing in Norway is at the level of football in the U.S.? 
Yeah, totally. I mean, wow. like there's a saying that Norwegians are born on skis. Yeah. And I think you're, you'd be hard pressed to find a Norwegian who doesn't know kind of like who the best Norwegian skiers are and they really follow it and they watch yeah. it every weekend. And it's, it's just like football for us or something. They just, it's like part of their culture. So it's really That's cool. Really cool. So with that, I imagine that a kid growing up in Norway, they're around skiing. They see it constantly for you growing up in the U S how did your journey in sports start and what led you to skiing? Yeah, I, th- I think, and maybe I can attribute my parent, a lot of this to my parents, but I was always that kid that just did a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the listeners probably don't know, but you and I were on a swim team together. When, sharks. I guess you, you were maybe 12 or 13 and I was yeah. like nine, nine or something, but yep, we were at the that, was, that was maybe my, yeah, it was, it was, that was probably my first introduction to more like endurance type racing. Mm-hmm. Um, but besides swimming, I did a lot of just baseball, football, basketball, mm-hmm. like a lot of the American standard stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and I didn't actually ever cross country ski until around middle school because really? my older brother who was yeah. also on the swim team with us, yep. he joined the uh, high school team and yeah, he just, he really enjoyed it. And I, I, at the time didn't have a winter sport. So, um, just hearing from him about how much he liked it, I just figured I'd give it a try and initially didn't actually like it that much. Um, just sort of like with running, it's just not as fun. I don't think initially as basketball or something, you just, right. it, I think it takes some time to get past the, like, this is painful and this sucks stage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to like, Oh, this is just a competition like anything else. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think initially I only stuck with it because I I found a lot of success with it right away. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was maybe because I had was already pretty fit from my swimming days when I was younger or something, yeah. but <laughs> I, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, it was like the sport that I would say I was the most like naturally successful at. Mm-hmm. So, And in Minnesota, um, yeah. can you talk a little bit about what high school Nordic skiing is like in Minnesota? Because to me, and I did this high school team for like maybe two years and it was just so normal. This is a high school sport. I moved to warmer states. No one's heard of it. It's not a part of anyone's schedule. So what's that like in Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's just like track or cross country. It's just like another sport people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just probably because we live in a state where it's so snowy all winter that you, you just can are do it. pretty limited in your other options, I guess, yeah. unless you do an indoor sport. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of one of the only outdoor sport options. Um, but it's a, it's like a really big deal. I think in high school, like we have the the Minnesota state meet mm-hmm. and for a lot of kids, me included growing up, that was like the biggest deal ever. Mm-hmm. Like if you were a Minnesota state champion, it was like legendary, you know? So, yeah. um, I think that was kind of that first carrot that I really chased Yeah. of, oh, I want to win this race so bad and have my name up there with like people who've won the race before. And, yeah. um, yeah, that was, that was kind of the first thing that I really wanted to achieve. And mm-hmm. at, initially it seemed like such a, uh, such a reach, but yeah, it's cool. How, as you just keep doing it year after year, it, it becomes closer and closer. Yeah. And something I love seeing on your website, which is great, by the way, if you're listening, I saw the photo of third at state and then what 15th in the world. I think you have a yeah. side, which is so cool to see as a fellow Minnesotan. So from high school onwards, when did you maybe start training full-time? When did you start striving for the elite level? How did that work out? So for a lot of years in high school, I did cross-country running, cross-country skiing, and track, sort of mm-hmm. like the triple. Yeah. Um, but as I started having more success at the high school level, my coaches sort of convinced me that I would become a better skier if I trained year-round for skiing, like mm-hmm. did more roller skiing, 
and uh, kind of just trained more kind of volume in the fall instead right. of doing cross country races. So um, my, I'd say my junior and senior year in high school, I got a lot better and mm -hmm. I actually won the state meet both of those years. And um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Which was cool because I, I guess I laugh about it a little bit now because I'm so distanced from it. But right. at the time that was like it's a huge the deal. childhood dream being achieved. For um, sure. And uh, yeah, so I guess by my junior or senior year, I kind of knew that it was something I really wanted to continue with. Mm -hmm. And and luckily it's an NCAA sport as well. Mm -hmm. So at that time I'm looking at college programs and, you know, being able to continue it at an NCAA level is super cool. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like a big reason that it's, I, I guess it's not popular, but it, that it's as popular as it is, is just because of that NCAA influence. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then I went to Northern Michigan University, which is in the up, little up, upper peninsula of Michigan mm -hmm. uh, in Marquette. And I joined kind of a contingent of a lot of other guys who had come from Minnesota. And that was definitely the point at which I would say I started taking it really seriously. Mm -hmm. um at that at that point I was training fully summer fall winter spring year round with the intent of becoming the best skier I possibly could mm -hmm. and our coach at Northern Michigan University was just an awesome resource and taught me so much more about training and kind of what it took to reach that that sort of next level um and then also just kind of getting exposed to the the, the wide world out there because when you come from Minnesota high school skiing that's sort of all you know and when mm -hmm. you win the state meet, you think you're kind of the best skier in the world, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but being on a team with guys from Norway, guys from Switzerland and racing against other college teams who have all these really good international guys and older guys, you're like, oh, wow, I'm actually pretty bad. Um, and that just learning as much as I could and trying to improve my training and technique and, and really just study the process. I think those four or five years, actually, because I redshirted those five years at uh, NMU were for sure the biggest thing for me reaching the level I'm at now. That's really cool to hear the perspective too. What was then the transition like from college to professional skiing, especially thinking about equipment, travel? What did that look like for you and what helped you find success in that? Um, I think I was pretty lucky in college because I didn't have the most rigorous academic schedule. Um, or at least I can say I was able to balance it really well. Mm -hmm. So I, I was able to have a pretty almost like professional level yeah. of training volume. Yeah. So I think even, even though I got a degree and was in school for five years, I was still able to progress my skiing a really f long ways. Um, so when I graduated a couple of years ago and started professionally skiing, I felt like I was already at a level where I could sort of, at least at the US level, kind of just mm -hmm. jump right in. Mm -hmm. But for sure with this whole, European lifestyle and traveling all the time and just all these little ins and outs of that I think that's been a huge adjustment and just all the energy management that goes into that and trying to stay healthy and mm -hmm. just like being a veteran of this lifestyle I guess that, that's something I'm still learning every day and I don't right. feel like I'm totally totally there yet but um, yeah it helps to be on a team where you have guys who've been living this life for 10 or more years because they just it's, it's like normal for them. November to March, I'm in Europe and here's how we do it. So. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so you're on the US ski team and that's something that primarily those races training Europe takes place in the winter. And I know you mentioned you're part of team Berkey as well in Minnesota. What does that balance look like throughout the year? 
Yeah, so my uh, fiance and I have a apartment in Minneapolis that we mm-hmm. basically spend uh, from, let's see, basically April until November. We're based mm-hmm. out of Minneapolis. And that's where we'll do a lot of our dry land training, like the roller skiing and the running and biking and weightlifting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I do that with a team called Team Berkey. Um, so there's kind of this interesting interplay between the U.S. ski team, which is who I, of course, represent when I'm racing for the USA internationally. And then Team Berkey, who's my sort of like domestic club. Um, and before I was, you know, racing World Cup, you have to do these U.S. races to qualify. Mm-hmm. So when I'm doing those races, that's all for Team Berkey. Right. And they support me at the whenever I do a race in the U.S., that's who I race for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think other sports have that, too. But they I, I give them a lot of credit, too, for helping me sort of bridge that gap to the next level because mm-hmm. they they support me so much, just like helping me pay for training camps to altitude and mm-hmm. just like all these little things that are so important for being successful. I think mm-hmm. um, just having that like support network around me in Minneapolis has been so cool. And I would say as far as at least for the U.S., Minneapolis is one of the biggest sort of Nordic skiing communities in the entire country. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really cool too, like to, to be over here and have some success and then come back to the Midwest and just get so much, uh, support from the community and people are so excited about team Berkey and yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like such a fun little magical community. And I think that's like, makes it a lot more special for me too, that people are so excited about it. Yeah. That seems like a really cool balance to have in, in kind of both halves of the year. Now with navigating this long season, almost having these two seasons travel and looking at how the season works, it sounds like sometimes you're racing to qualify for the next round, which means you don't have a schedule that's completely set. There's, it's not a concrete schedule. How do you maintain a strong mindset? What are some keys to your mental preparation and performance throughout your season? That's a really good question, actually. And it's something that I've really been tackling this year and struggling Mm -hmm. with at times for sure. Um, especially because we kind of divide the year in Europe into periods. Mm -hmm. And so you, you race period one, maybe, which is from November to December. Mm -hmm. And you don't know basically until the end of that, whether you're going to qualify for the next period, which is then say January to February or something. So there's a lot of stress with just sort of the uncertainty of your future. And it's not like, you know, you just take a couple hour flight and go home. Like if you get sent home, you're going all the way back to the U S and it's just this kind of like really stressful option. That's always on your mind and you're Mm -hmm. just really scared of it happening. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've been working with like a sports psychologist about it and stuff because it's, it was something that I really struggled with in period one. I was like really on the bubble of Mm -hmm. whether I was going to make that next period or not. And Mm -hmm it would really like keep me up sometimes at night just thinking, Oh, like what am, what's my future going to look like? Am I going to be flying home and needing to make all these contingency plans and just kind of feeling like you're, yeah, just sort of not at the level where you can be really comfortable there yet. I think Mm -hmm. that's something that's really tough. And maybe it's just one of those things that you have to deal with as a professional athlete. Like there's always going to be stress about kind of your place on a given team. And there's always people that are coming up to replace you and, Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a really tough thing, but I think just like focusing on the process is yeah. really the thing that I always go back to. Um, you can't really control how fast the people you're going up against are going to race. All you can really control is your own process, like my warm up, my nutrition, my recovery, 
And so I think it's just been like a really good thing to go back to. Like, as long as I feel like I'm improving with not, not just results, just improving in everything I do. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's really all you can do. And hopefully the rest takes care of itself. But yeah, the, the more you focus on things that you can't control, it just really sends you down these like negative spirals that keep you up at night. And I've definitely been victim to that sometimes. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Cause I think that sometimes when even younger athletes go through that for whatever level you might be at, it's like hard to, to know, like, well, do the people above me feel that? Like, yeah, but you're also almost, it sounds like reframing that using it as a positive, focusing on the process, which is, which is, you know, I love hearing that. So thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, totally. yeah. When, when you look at kind of the, your keys to the process, right? So, okay. Training sessions, racing, everything else outside of it. What do you think some keys to your preparation are day to day, week to week, month to month? Like what really helps you dial in your performance and continue to chase that next level? For me, I think it's a lot about just having really good routines. Mm-hmm. I think like people in general, humans are, we really like routines and if you can set up routines that, you know, if you follow them day in, we like weeks, years after years, it's going to put you on the path to success. Then, you know, you're at least kind of investing in your future self in a way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of it too, is just having kind of a philosophy that you really stick by kind of no matter how things are going. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that's maybe like training, like how do I, how do I think my training should be structured and what kind of things do I believe about just the, the, the stuff I fill my day with that mm-hmm. I think is making me a better skier. Like you have to, yeah, have a philosophy you really believe in. And it's, it's important to stick by it too when things are going really poorly. And that's, I think that's been a challenge too. It's like you have a really bad race or a really bad month of racing and it makes you just want to question everything. And you're like, shit, like, I think I need to God, Maybe I need to move to Norway and train mm-hmm. way more and just do all this different stuff. I don't think what I'm doing is working. And I think, yeah, it's, it takes a lot of confidence and yeah, willpower, I guess, to like really trust your philosophy and stick with it, even when things are going badly. But I feel like that's been a big thing for me is just riding the the roller coaster in a way mm-hmm. and just knowing that you could have the worst race of your career one day and then the very next day could be the best race of your career. So you just have to have short-term memory loss, I guess, but yes. always just like trust, trust your process and yeah. never, never get too existential, I guess, from like any one given bad day. Yeah. Honestly, the person who I heard that almost exact same thing from is an Olympic bronze medalist in the pole vault and uh, four-time U.S. Olympian. So yeah, really cool. Looking at the relationship between having those really good races and also having challenges, I know you said achieving that goal of being a Minnesota state champion, childhood dream. And I totally get that. Like Minnesota growing up, that state championship, huge. What are some of those significant accomplishments that now you look back on as proof that the process is working? Like, what are you most proud of as an athlete performance wise in the last several years? I think there's like a lot of little things that I could point to along the way, like for sure, winning the Minnesota state meet, Mm -hmm. um, being top five at NCAA championships, my senior year, um, and just like winning a lot of these sort of domestic world cup qualifying races. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of these things that like I, when I think about them now, I'm like, of course I should be able to do that if I'm a world cup skier, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of these like little milestones along the way that you it's, it can be good to like take a second to pause and give yourself like credit for that. These things that used to be such a big deal and so important to you are sort of like almost trivial now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's some, it's a reason I've like always improved is that I've just, every time I reach a new level, I like immediately raise the bar and want more, but I think it's, 
something that maybe I struggle with too, just like being a perfectionist and sort of, I guess, yeah, never being satisfied to the point that you almost get like imposter syndrome. And even though you have these like really obvious accomplishments you can point to, you still sort of feel like you're not at the level you should be and that you oh, like, I, I still should be better. And mm-hmm. what could I have done differently to be in my training to be better? And it's just like, yeah. Um, yeah, it needs to be a balance of always wanting to improve, but also like being able to say, yeah, I am a good skier and I've done pretty cool things. Yeah, I get that. Is that. I feel like it's the fine line between being so hard on yourself that it helps and then being so hard on yourself that it hurts. And it's, it's tough, but you have to have it to move forward. What are your goals? Where's the bar at now for you? So in World Cup skiing for the longest time, there's been this sort of standard that top 30 in any mm-hmm. given race is like, if you're top 30, you score points in the race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the longest time, it's been a challenge for Americans to just even get into that top 30. Yeah. Um, yeah. You'd have guys who spent their entire careers for five or 10 years on the world cup and never cracked a top 30. So, so for me, that was sort of that initial milestone of like, I just want to be able to get into the top 30. And mm-hmm. these last couple of seasons, I've been able to do that a few times, which it doesn't that's sound awesome. like that uh, significant to people listening and no and it for is sure it's, I get it. It it's is. a bit of like a, a symptom of like low U.S. standards because we just haven't been at that level but um, a lot of the sort of like young guys now myself included it's mm-hmm. been more of a regular thing to be in that top 30 and we've even had some guys who have been in the top 10 and top 15 and yeah last year I had a race where I was 15th and then this year I had one where I was 17th so that's where you're like yeah thank you that's really um, cool yeah of course the goal, my goal one day is to just be able to feel like I can get a top, a podium, a top three on any given mm-hmm. day. And maybe mm-hmm. just like consistently just feel like I'm one of the best, one of the good skiers here, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where for the longest time, I thought it would just be so cool if I could get a top 30 sometime during my career. And now that I've done that a few times, it just still feels like you really want to reach that next level. And, yeah. but, but it's a lot about just wanting to feel like we can prove that Americans can do this and there's not anything whole, you know, different about us that's holding us back. And that, mm-hmm. yeah, just because we have some of these disadvantages, it doesn't mean we can't go come here and be some of the best skiers here. I love that. When you look at a younger skier who's listening to this, like I want to be part of that next generation. Cause it sounds like the group you're in is this generation coming up that says we're going to be in the top 30 consistently top 10 podium. What about the next generation? who wants to do what you're doing and wants to keep pushing the U S forward or whatever country that individual might be from. What's your advice for that athlete skiing? Maybe it's not skiing that wants to make it to the elite level. What what, what do you wish even you knew as an eighth grader, as a junior in high school, as a college sophomore? I think it's just a lot about like learning as much about yourself as you possibly can and trying to like become your own best coach because I think it's something I still struggle with. I I think some people spend way too much time looking around them at what their competitors are doing or yeah. What, what does this person do better than me? And and of course that's important, but Mm -hmm. I think going back to what I was talking about earlier about having a philosophy and really trusting it through ups and downs is something that I think is the most important thing for me. Just like learn what, how your body works, what kind of training works for you and sort of develop a philosophy and then just stick by that through everything. And it takes a lot of patience, especially I think for younger athletes, because especially at maybe a middle school or a high school level, there's just so much going on with like 
even something as simple as puberty, like, oh, are you one of the smaller guys or, Mm -hmm. you know, you just need to do things that you really believe in and just hope that if you do them day after day, year after year, you'll be in the place you want to be. And yeah, patience is really hard, especially when things go badly, maybe for an extended period of time. But the I think patience has always been my friend. And I've had some really tough periods, but in the end, I've always come out a better skier than I was before. I love that. And I hope a lot of young athletes can hear that because that's great advice. I want to end by looking at where people can follow you and follow your journey. You have a fantastic blog and it really helped me as a washed up high school, really mediocre skier kind of remember some of the terms and understand what your season looks like. Um, And then you also share some of your journey on social media. Where can people find you and follow your story? Um, Yeah, I post a lot on Instagram um, at Zach Hederson and Strava actually. Oh, um, nice. I don't know. Yeah. So Strava is sort of the social media for uh, endurance athletes, I guess. Yeah. A lot of runners and even swimmers for sure. Mm-hmm. Runners, bikers, whatever yeah. use it. And I actually post all of my training on there. Oh, that's like, really cool. Everything, everything down to even if I do like a 10 minute jog or something. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. If you're ever curious, the kind of training I do day to day and I post all my races with like heart rate data and all that stuff. And I think it's, sort of just to, I guess I don't really have anything to hide, but just to also be a resource if people like wonder what I've done throughout the years, it's all mm-hmm. there. So. Very cool. What's your username on Strava? Uh, I don't know if it's username so much as if, if you just look up my name, I should come okay, up. It's there. Um, and then I, I guess I have a website also, um, ZachHederson.com. And Very I post cool. blogs and uh, just, yeah, photos and stuff like that. Yeah. And with that, what's next for this season? You said period two just wrapped up. Is that what it was? Or period two is going to be starting? Yeah, right. So we had period one, which was December to, or November to December. Mm-hmm. And then period two is just the tour to ski. So that was that like seven races in nine days thing that I just wrapped up. Mm-hmm. And then luckily um, I qualified for period three. So I'm not heading home just yet. Congratulations. And that's, uh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, it's a bit stressful. Like I said, just like not knowing for sure yeah. whether you're going to qualify for these things until basically the a few days before you might've had to leave otherwise, yeah. but um, yeah, I qualified for those and that's going to be in the next few weeks here. And mm-hmm. hopefully the goal for this season is to qualify for the world championships, which are going to be in Slovenia in mm-hmm. uh, middle of February from there. I, it's like I said, you don't really know what your future looks like until you get there, but yeah. I'm hoping to just like keep doing what I'm doing and hopefully have some more good races. But yeah, for sure. The way there is just going to be to like live in the moment. <laughs> 